Today's episode is going to be about marketing, communication, and how to build a purpose-driven companies. No, this is not your journal episode. This is a specific episode in order to help you grow your business. The same strategies explained in this episode were used in the company, in the healthcare company, massive healthcare company, to grow their business from a $60 million valuation to a $2 billion valuation in two years. Large companies really have to stay away from being... Uh, disruptive in terms of their their language and what they're putting out in the marketplace. And I watch a lot of small companies follow large company playbooks, but they're missing a really important opportunity. This is Cold, the founder of Scrappy AF Solutions. Operationalize your purpose, meaning that you've set a North Star, you've articulated what impact you're trying to have in the world, and um, you're going you're gonna to head that direction and serve that purpose as well as you can Rather than being concerned about what one competitor or another is doing, be concerned about how you're going to get to that destination with the team that you have. Colt was a chief communication officer at Ensemble Health Partners, where he witnessed firsthand the power of purpose, how the purpose-driven companies are built, what is the actual meaning of that. And he helped the company to grow from $60 million valuation to a $2 billion in two years. The story doesn't end here. It actually starts from here. Cold has deconstructed and streamlined the model he used at Ensemble, and basically he developed a clear and practical approach, which he called as the Purposify framework. It's hard for me to pronounce, but is is gonna be easier for you to implement. It's basically for engaging every level of organization as a purpose-driven powerhouse. Cold did not only work for the Ensemble Health Partners, he worked for many other companies as well. In total, he's having more than 15 years of experience. So whatever he's going to say, whatever he's going to tell us is going to be full of value and the actual solutions implemented by him. If you want to get in touch with me, you can go to issuesing.com, I-S-H-U-S-I-N-G-H.com, issuesing.com. You can go there, learn more about me and get in touch with me there as well. If you want to learn more about starting to know, go to startingtoknow.com. If you haven't got a chance, you should go there. You're missing a great opportunity by not going there. You should be there. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Colt to the show. Hi, Colt. Welcome to the show. Right on, man. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure to have you here. I know about the Scrap EF Solutions. Let's bring listeners up to the same speed. What are Scrap EF Solutions all about? Scrappy AF solutions are what I developed working with small and mid-stage companies for the last 20 years that, that had either very small or actually non-existent budgets. Um, and these techniques really I've honed for helping those companies capture market share from deep pocketed industry incumbents without uh, trying to outspend them, which of course for a small company is impossible. Okay. Okay. Interesting. You mentioned like a little bit about marketing. So how do you see marketing? In other words, what is marketing according to you? For me, marketing is about getting your story out into uh, a marketplace where an audience can resonate with you and say, I like what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's so much happening, so much noise, how to cut through that noise and get the attention. What do you think? Uh, it's, it is very noisy. I think the best way to do that is to be very authentic about your purpose and mm-hmm. to not be shy about bringing your personality into it, especially as a small company. Mm-hmm. Um, large companies really have to stay away from being uh, disruptive in terms of their, their language and what they're putting out in the marketplace. And I watch a lot of small companies 
follow large company playbooks, but they're missing a really important opportunity, which is uh, that they can be the disruptors. They can say, hey, everyone, um, we're, we've been doing this wrong and there's a different and better way to do this. Here's what I think it should look like. Um, and anyone who's interested, come along with me, right? So that type of authenticity, willingness to be a little disruptive, bombastic, maybe even pick a fight uh, in the industry, like say, I think this is happening completely in the wrong way and we need to do it in a, in a totally different way. Um, those types of approaches can be very helpful in cutting through the noise. So here is my opinion kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. And it's like, um, I would say it, initially, don't worry about trying to be everything to everyone. Decide what you are really resonating with in, inside yourself and be bold about putting that out of the marketplace. You have seen both the, both the sides. Like you have seen uh, small companies, you have worked in bigger, massive companies. So yep. smaller companies or new founders or small companies usually look up to the bigger companies. But mm -hmm. I think, of course, there are some lessons like for the bigger companies, they can learn from the smaller companies as well. What do you think about it? I, I totally agree with you. I think there's a lot for big companies to learn from small companies. One is that, you know, uh, this idea of markets being disruptive and new players coming into the marketplace all the time, it's like your perspective shouldn't be, this is something you have to defend against mm. or try to slow down or try to stop or try to prevent this, this sort of uh, innovation tidal wave from happening. I think that the lesson to learn from small companies is that innovation is powerful. And as a large organization, if you want to stay relevant, the, the best way to do that is not to prevent new players from bringing in new ideas. It's to be the organization doing that. I mean, there's so many instances of, industries that have tried to buy and shut down organizations that are being disruptive. I mean, I see a lot, uh, but I think the real answer is to figure out how to build and flex the innovative muscle of your own organization. Related with this one, like, for example, if you are in yeah. a tech company, you have a limited budget, mm -hmm. nothing has been covered in the marketing so far. Where would you bet? As far as uh, how to generate leads through marketing? Yes. So a lot of times, so I focus mostly on the B2B space. And what I find is one of, one of the strongest paths to building up your um, opportunity funnel is actually webinars. What I recommend to a lot of businesses, especially when they're just getting started, as long as they have already built a strong process or flywheel for engaging with leads and opportunities giving them a great experience for that brand and converting those leads and opportunities into closed business. If they have that box checked, then before they go into kind of widespread marketing, I still like the more targeted approaches of working with industry publishers or even hosting your own webinars. But instead of putting out information about, you know, your solution features, your differentiators, your value statements, what I recommend is choosing topics that are powerfully meaningful to the audience that you're trying to engage. So you're bringing them insights, tactics, best practices, executables, meaningful revelations that they can put to work right away with or without you so that they start to recognize, well, these folks know what they're doing in this space. And then have that strong process of follow-up. If you have attracted them to that content, have that strong process of follow-up, go to work on converting the people who have showed up, they are now your leads, into conversations that can turn into closed business. 
So don't you think a video can replace this part? Like they can watch on their own schedule, but webinar is going to do it much easier because you have that form that the user has to fill to watch the video. I, I mean, I think you make a great point. I think video is massively powerful um, as far as ways and channels to communicate. I, video is outperforming every other form. Um, what I will say though, is that if you do a good job of recording a strong webinar that showcases really good expertise, that you're insightful, that you're doing disruptive things, that people should be paying attention to you, mm. then it, it's absolutely the case that you can then slice that content up into various video assets that can become uh, blog posts. You can push them through LinkedIn. You can create visibility for them. If, even, if it makes sense, even post them to your website uh, as um, you know, content that can show how people should be looking at specific issues. I think so. Yeah. The, the multi-purpose or repurposing the content on multiple platforms, I think it's gonna, it's gonna bring more traction, uh, for, for any company for that say, do you think putting out the webinar schedule, let the people join, record the uh, videos, put it out on different social media platforms? What do you think like the approach should be? Uh, you, do you still want to stick with your the selection that you made of webinars or do you think you're going to now change your mind and go to the video part? What do you think? It's a great question. I, I think part of this um, kind of checkbox that I talked about earlier that you want to make sure you have covered, if you do a good job of generating leads and they start investigating your business, your solutions, and they don't have the kind of information and content that they desire to really self-serve their learning process. So that means that you have clear information about your solutions, what problems it solves, what key challenges it addresses for the people who are there, um, pain points, et cetera, speaking kind of to their jobs to be done, so to speak. Uh, I would say you really don't have the box checked. And in, in many regards, if that, if that self-service kind of customer journey doesn't include a strong collection of videos about your solution and what problems it solves for them, hmm. uh, you're probably not ready to start filling the funnel with things like webinars. But once you do have that box checked, then I, I still think webinars are very powerful and strong working with the, uh, the key publishers and conference hosts in, in whatever industry or niche you're in, they almost all of them uh, have solutions where they offer vendors the opportunity to sponsor a webinar and deliver strong content, showcase some expertise, grab some leads and get to work on converting those leads to their sales flywheel. Do you think the competitor analysis is going to play some role here? If, the, if some competitor is already doing it or maybe not doing it, this is going to be the opportunity for a company. What do you think, like, especially when the, when the market is not that tech savvy and like you are trying to sell a tech product? How do you foresee like doing the competitive analysis? I, I think it is valuable to be aware of your competitors, uh, strengths and weaknesses. Look at how they're communicating to the marketplace. Identify what um, unique what, what they seem to think is unique about their offering. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what their audience thinks, but at least be aware of what's happening there. I think one of the, the strongest ways to assess your competitors is when there's visibility into how their audience is reacting to them. So I would look at what's, what's getting posted on LinkedIn. How is their audience reacting to them? Because that, that's even more insightful. At the same time, I think that it, it's possible to get um, kind of analysis paralysis, if you will, about assessing the competitive marketplace. 
but I would argue that it's perhaps a better use of your time to really um, operationalize your purpose, meaning that you've set a North Star, you've articulated what impact you're trying to have in the world, and um, you're going you're gonna to head that direction and serve that purpose as well as you can, rather than being concerned about what one competitor or another is doing, be concerned about how you're going to get to that destination with the team that you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're getting to the point of purpose-driven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> spotted that? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Okay. What do you think, like, what can be done more in that area, like becoming a purpose-driven company? Yeah. So purpose-driven to me is, uh, so you go through an exercise of really understanding what are the values, what's the impact you're trying to create in the world. And then a lot of people have had this sense that that's the finish line, you know, where they've articulated that, or they've come up with uh, a mission statement, a purpose statement, they've put it up on the wall. But what I'm really talking about is operationalizing purpose, meaning that you've baked it into the very DNA of your organization. So what does that look like? Um, that looks like you put that purpose at the top of your agenda when you're at the meetings. The measurements of success for your company are related to that purpose being manifest in the world. Your job descriptions have it in there, your uh, job evaluations and your incentive structure. And I mean, really everything about your business in every function of your business ties back to purpose. And where you end up if you do that successfully is everyone in your organization understands how their role rolls up to manifesting that purpose out in the world. That's what operationalized purpose really means. And it gives you a greater strength to attract talent, a greater strength to engage that talent, a greater strength to innovate in the marketplace, a greater strength to attract and retain customers, and a greater strength to increase sales and, and deliver a better return to shareholders overall. Um, and the data that, that's coming out about purpose-driven companies now from Forbes, from Harvard Business Review, I mean, countless uh, publishers is really reflecting that going purpose-driven is the way to win in the 2020s. Mm -hmm. And it's not anymore like putting the mission and vision statement out there and uh, letting the people read it and without following that. So it's no more uh, up to that level. It's, it's going beyond that. That's what you're trying to say. I, I, I do feel strongly that that's what's required uh, for a few reasons. Um, one is because truly operationalized purpose is the only way to achieve the benefits that I was just talking about. Having mm. you know, something painted on the wall doesn't do that. And two, uh, I would say that the, the radar, we'll call it that, the radar that people possess to identify or to spot platitude instead of purpose is very finely tuned these days, um, whether they're consumers or employees. Um, it doesn't take long for, for people to figure out that uh, that's something that they wrote on the wall, but that's not really something that they're doing. And, and that actually can be potentially more damaging than not having any kind of purpose at all. Mm -hmm. And how the impact can be seen, uh, negative impact for if, if the company is not following this people churning, people leaving the company? Absolutely. Yeah. All those things. Um, so they, they start to see uh, employee retention becoming a problem. They see uh, client churn becoming a problem. They find, them, they find that they're being uh, disrupted in the marketplace by new innovation. They, they can't keep up. Uh, margins are dwindling. I mean, all, all the signs of business suffering that you can imagine will occur if that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
ultimately like, it's going to affect all the areas of the company and uh, marketing too. And that's the topic yeah. we started, right? Yeah. I mean, marketing as a department, marketing benefits enormously when a company is truly purpose-driven. Uh, the kind of um, viral benefit that you get when you're really orienting your content around purpose and the impact that that organization is having, that that's great that you have oriented the conversation you're having in social channels around creating an impact that you believe in and other people can kind of rally around that. I mean, that's where the marketing team goes from this kind of historical practice of creating customers to the modern practice of creating fans, advocates, evangelists. And that's, that's the magic that makes a difference between those things. Yeah, you can, you can, as, as you were talking about this, like, I think the companies can, the, I would say, use these ideas for marketing activities as well, uh, create the content related with it, how people are doing inside the company, their daily lives, maybe. Yeah and promote those people as well and to be the front facing around all of your content if, if the company wants to go into that direction. Absolutely. There's yeah. actually something amazing that I've seen in, in organizations that, are, that have truly just committed themselves to the impact that they're seeking to make in the world um, where their competitors find it a struggle to get in touch with uh, the business leaders of the organizations that they're trying to make into their clients, right? So they're looking to reach C-suite members of big companies, and they just can't get a response to the email. They can't get a response to the phone messages. But when small companies come into these marketplaces and try to engage these business leaders, not to come see my demo, uh, not for a sales pitch, not for you know whatever tricks we use to get those people on the phone, but mm genuinely seek to engage these people in getting their input on an important conversation about making some specific impact on the world, those people start coming out of the woodwork. It's like, oh, you're having a, a conversation, whether that's a podcast or you're doing interviews or you're doing articles or whatever. As a company, you're trying to foster an important dialogue in a marketplace right? Mm -hmm. Rather than I'm trying to get you on the phone so I can sell you a solution. Those leaders start to say yes at incredible rates. The last campaign that I did in a similar uh, strategy, we sent emails to leaders of health systems. These are large multi-billion dollar health systems. Uh, they will be the, mm -hmm. um, the vice presidents and C-suite members of these systems. And we sent the emails out and I got a 23% yes rate on these emails. Wow. Now to get a response rate of over 5% on cold emails is pretty good, but mm. to get a 23% yes rate is unheard of. And it's totally because we didn't make these communications about, I want you to see a solution. We made these communications about, I want you to be a part of a dialogue that we're having about an important impact we want to create in the world. And it just transforms everything. Mm-hmm. Interesting fact. And I think uh, I was talking to someone, um, I think a few days ago, and we had mm -hmm. a conversation. Nowadays, business is not about like behind the scene, like someone is not in the marketing and they're working behind the scene. I think everyone is in sales right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. And it has to be uh, shown in that way by the companies, I think. So I pretty much believe in it because uh, sometimes if I've seen in many sales cycle, if the company is not responding, the customer is not responding, 
if someone else from some other team knows that customers or knows any person in that company, they can, they can start the conversation going one more time. So yeah. I think, so what that created or what that meant is that person is also in sales now uh, because mm-hmm. that person helped in bringing that conversation again up. Yeah, I think you. I think you're spot on. I mean, the way that we've learned about the power of networking through tools like LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, you know, people come from and go to organizations all the time. They make they make connections. They have friends. They have friends who know people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I absolutely think it's very valuable for um, those networks to be leveraged by businesses. And there are, I mean, the the tools that are out there for doing that make it make it possible if you have even a very lightweight process around leveraging those connections, you really can make a lot of traction out of that. So if your marketing department is doing a good job of creating content that is meaningful and useful, impactful for the audience that you're trying to reach, and then you have an internal process in place where when your marketing department pushes that kind of content, that everybody in the organization has a requirement to share, like, comment, you know, repost, whatever it is, depending mm-hmm. on your platform, that content, then it's automatically going to the people that those folks are connected to. And I cool. think that that's, you know, if you push content out once a week, twice a week, something like that, it's not a big ask uh, to just say, hey, we, we push this out, send one, one quick email, here's the link, please go take a look. We'd really appreciate it if you'd like and or share this. Um, and that, that process, if you stick to it, can be enormously powerful. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. Now, related with this, uh, for example, the, the company listening to you has grown using mm-hmm. your advice. Mm-hmm. Where would you recommend the company to focus now in the marketing area, the next step? Well, I like conferences. Um, and again, it's a lot of this stuff is industry specific, so it's mm-hmm. difficult to give to give blanket advice. Uh, in some industries, I recommend dimensional mailers. Uh, in other industries, I like social media campaigns. I love thought leadership for almost any organization in any industry, meaning you are generating content that is useful and valuable to your audience, and you're putting it out on a regular basis. And again, on that, I I strongly recommend video as the most powerful version of that content. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's email campaigns through tools like uh, HubSpot, MailChimp, et cetera, uh, direct phone calls. I mean, th- the strategy will vary depending on the industry. Um, and even paid advertising is another route. Although for the strategies that I've undertaken, paid advertising tends to be lower on the list. Why? Um, I, I find it difficult for paid advertising to get the kind of returns, especially uh, for your dollar, that other uh, tactics can generate. And in, in particular, again, because I tend to focus on um, companies that are selling into complex enterprise environments where they have high ticket uh, solutions and they have six, 12, or even 18 month sales cycles. They need to build relationships, not simply sell products. Um, and when you need to build relationships, I, I much more prefer things like uh, webinars and then conferences as strong opportunities. But they still need to be approached with creativity and strong tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to, have to, have to have a really strong follow-up process. There is no silver bullet in marketing in those types of spaces. So you can have a, a really great webinar 
But if you don't have a plan to have five, eight, 10 points of touch after that to, to keep that, that warm and to work on converting that conversation, it's just not never going to generate a result for you. And I think putting yourself honestly out there, uh, whatever the company believes in, as we were discussing earlier, yeah, I think uh, it's going to be the uh, with the best idea to, to grip a customer's attention. I think so nowadays, if, if the world is so noisy, it's it's better to be your true self. That's 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 what I want to say. Which marketing ROI metric is closer to your heart, or which? ROI metrics are, I know it, it's going to depend on what strategy we're using. It's, is it a cold email? Is it a webinar? Is it a uh, video? Then it's going to be watch time, but still like there are going to be some that you might have yeah. seen or noticed like brings positivity in the company. Yeah. I think if, if you had to ask that question in the most generalized sense, it is how are we doing in terms of generating marketing qualified leads? Um, meaning these are companies that are aware of our brand, our solutions, they're interested in having a conversation and that, that gets handed off to the sales team uh, to execute on. I mean, at the highest level, that's really how you have to measure it. And when I you know, work with a new company, a new client, I mean, the first question is what's your revenue goal for the next 12 months? The second question is, okay, what is your average contract value? Got it. And then we start talking about what have been your historical conversion rates from lead to opportunity and from opportunity to close business. So you take those four numbers and you reverse engineer to figure out how many qualified leads this organization needs to succeed uh, in order to hit their revenue targets. And then what I try to focus on is what is the fastest and least expensive way for us to generate that flow of leads into your system so that you can uh, hit and exceed the revenue goals that you've set for the next 12 months. So kind of a reverse engineering. Totally right. Yeah. And I think that again, it, well, you're totally right. Um, email opens, great. That's a great measure. Um, at a conference, I mean, I have 15 different measures for success at conferences, um, and they're all important, but ultimately it's, are we closing the deals? Are we starting the conversations that lead to closed deals? Is this investment yielding for us in the ways that it needs to? Interesting. Time is almost there. Any final thoughts that you would like to share with the founder or the entrepreneur who is listening to this episode right now? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's two things. It's to be driven by purpose and to be powered by creativity, um, which of course is my slogan. Um, <laughs> and I say it because I, I have seen the power of purpose in an organization uh, take, take a company from uh, a $60 million valuation to a $2 billion valuation. Um, and it's like, of course, it wasn't all purpose that did that, but it played a role in everything that made a part of, of that happen. Um, so, and then be powered by creativity. If innovation is becoming more and more and more and more important every day, and if you invest in the creative capabilities of your teams, um, then you can become the disruptor instead of being the disrupted. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Where can we learn uh, more about you and your business if someone wants to get in touch? Oh, I would be delighted if anyone wants to reach out to me. I'm at scrappyafsolutions.com, and you can find me. On LinkedIn, Colt Briner. Uh, I think I'm the only Colt Briner on LinkedIn. Uh, the people listening to the podcast right now, you can go uh, to LinkedIn and get in touch with Colt. You can get more in-depth marketing insights. If you want to work with him, there, there are tons of opportunities. And I think if you're going to reference the name of uh, starting to know uh, Colt, uh, we'll be more than happy to open that 
that inbox and uh, we'll yep. set you up with any recent meeting schedule that he's going to have or slot Absolutely. that he's going to have. Yeah. If they come from starting to know, I, I would be happy to take a half hour with them just to give them any guidance that I can to uh, help put them in the right direction. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Cole, for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. This has been great. Thank you so much.